My name is Catherine Tancon, and I will be reading scripture this morning. Listen for the word of God. Today's gospel reading is from the good news according to Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Another one of those texts where there's a tentative, uh, thanks be to God. I think. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Come, Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. So open the door on your little Advent calendar today. Excited about the day's treat. And you get John the Baptist. You'll remember John the Baptist from last week. He's kind of this survivalist in the desert wearing a camel fur coat calling for repentance for people to change their lives, baptizing people in the wilderness and in the desert. And think of a church's sort of welcome at the beginning of a service, right? You're welcome no matter who you are, where you are in faith, etc., etc., etc. 
And John starts like this, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown in the fire. So repent and bear fruit. That's what we get when we open today's calendar, vipers and wrath and fire. John's diet consists of locusts and wild honey, but he ain't no treat. Now, this might not sound very Christmassy, this particular text, um, and that's probably because John isn't talking about Jesus coming at the manger. John is using what's called apocalyptic language, language that sort of take, removes the veil on reality to see what's going on underneath. And Advent isn't just about the first coming of Christ at Christmas, but the second coming at the end of time. And John joins in this long tradition of the prophets of Israel warning God's people to turn their lives around, turn back to God. He's talking about the day of the Lord. And he's invoking the prophet Malachi at the end of the Old Testament. This is what Malachi says. See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. John is working with the same imagery. The day of judgment at the end of time, when God will judge the earth, when everything will be set right, and God will put an end to sin and evil in creation. For good, John says the day of the Lord is coming. Shape up or get chopped down. Because when the Lord comes, it ain't going to be chestnuts. He'll be roasting. Now, the truth is that churches like ours have shied away from ideas like divine punishment, judgment, or wrath, and often for good reason. It's often used as a hammer to knock people down, a way to manipulate people, a way to condemn them or inflict cruelty on them. It seems kind of primitive. Another might be that, for the most part, North Americans, many North Americans, not all, but have been shielded from true suffering. I mean, I know that I have lived a pretty good life, one that has been free of some of the worst suffering in the world. I'm one of the people that John talks about that have two coats where other people have and none. I'm that kind of person that John is talking about. And in our sort of prosperity and peaceableness in North America, it can seem like there really is nothing that is worthy of the kind of judgment that John is talking about. For us, a God of judgment can't possibly be a God of love. But what about those for whom life hasn't been so grand? 
What about those who never are able to rise above simple subsistence where hunger is the background noise to everyday life? What about people who have suffered under colonial domination? What, are, what about those people that the philosopher says have lived lives that are nasty, brutish, and short? What about them? What about children and parents of the last shooting in Michigan a few weeks ago? What about children who've had to bounce around with no real home or childhood, the subjects of continual abuse? What about the schizophrenic woman who perishes into the street thanks to her dealer or her dealer's dealer knowingly putting fentanyl in their product? What about her? What about him or them? Innocence killed by bombs, concentration camps, Uyghur families. I mean, I've told this story before a lot of, uh, many times, but when, uh, there was, when I went to visit the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in Vancouver, there was a mother whose son had fallen into drug abuse and addiction after his traumatizing experience in residential school, and he ended up taking his own life. And his mother said that no apology could ever bring back her son. There was no justice on earth that could set things right for him. So what about her? What about him? What about the people who ran the school who abused him? who are now likely long dead. What about them? And the list could go on. Where is the justice? Is that just it? Is all of this simply regrettable, unfortunate, tragic, unnecessary? Maybe we'll just do better next time? The uh, great Protestant theologian of the 20th century, H. Richard Niebuhr, says that this view of God amounts to a God without wrath, who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. For those who truly suffer, that's just not enough. There must be justice. According to Scripture, there will be a day where all evil and injustice will be rooted out. John says the axe is already at the tree and the fire is already kindled. It's clear that judgment somehow has to be part of the equation because a God without justice, judgment or recompense ain't no God at all. A God without justice ain't no God at all. Now the other reason we might shy away from judgment is that we fear it for ourselves. That we'd be one of them trees that John talks about turning into kindling. 
of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Rome quotes the 51st Psalm, and he says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They together have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So our worry is not necessarily unfounded. There are things that we have done. Things out in the open, things hidden. But also, which of us, who, of, who among us has actually done enough? Who has actually loved God with their whole heart, mind, strength, and soul, and who has loved their neighbor exactly as themselves, who has done absolutely everything for the least, the last, and the lost. Judgment is not good news for any of us in that sense. I'm reminded of Curtis Mayfield, that great, uh, that great soul musician who says, if there's a hell below, we're all going to go. If there's a hell below, we're all going to go. Judgment does not sound like good news in any way, shape, or form. And yet, we're told that John's crowds, when the crowds gathered around, the people were filled with expectation. Everybody's coming, they're like, hey, it's John, he's calling us snakes, he's calling us vipers. Woo, baptize us. We're on board. Sign us up now. John is all about Judgment, and in the last line in today's scripture, he proclaimed good news to all the people, it says. Where is the good news in what John actually says, right? All this talk about judgment and fire and there's hell below, we're all going to go. Well, the answer is actually when John is asked when he's, if he is the Messiah, the one sent by God. And John quickly answers, he doesn't say, well, it could be, maybe a little bit, there's a little Messiah in all of us, isn't there? John answers them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's that crucial part that's where he says, one who is coming, who is greater than I. He is talking about Jesus. And really, he's talking about Christmas. The good news at Christmas is that at Christmas, we get a glimpse into the very nature of God, who God is, what God is up to in the world. We look into the eyes of Jesus and we see the glory of God disclosed. One of my favorite writers, Brian Zahn, says it like this. At Christmas, we find out that God is like Jesus. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now we do. In Jesus, we get a glimpse of the glory of God, who God is, what God is like. And what's Jesus like? 
What did God do? Did God envelop the wicked in fire on his coming? No. Jesus himself was strung up on a dead tree and thrown into the furnace of death. When Jesus was betrayed by his friends, did he come out with a flamethrower and say, that's it, this is your last chance? No. With a spear in his side, Jesus said, forgive them. They not, know not what they do. Forgive them. They know not what they do. What did God do in Christ? A couple chapters later, Luke tells us that he has not come to call the righteous, but sinners, which is everybody. Jesus bore the wrath against sin in his own body out of God's love for the world. You know the famous sign at football games, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, not that the world might perish, but have eternal life. If there is a judgment, Jesus' judgment is a kind of purification. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. He doesn't, it doesn't say he will separate the good wheat from the bad wheat, but the wheat from the chaff, the seed, the kernel, from that which is unnecessary to making bread. God's wrath is not against us, but against sin and evil operating in this world and, on, like, and in us. And like impurities are melted away with gold, the judgment of God comes to free us from all that is not of God in us. So the crowd's excited because there will be a judgment not because they are ready to get chopped down, but because those who know the love of God in Christ have no need to fear judgment, either now or at the end of time, because we know the judge. We have seen the judge in the flesh. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The fire that God comes from in Christ is the fire of love, a fire that cannot be quenched until all creation is as it should be, until all ourselves are as they were created to be. Now, the good news, even more good news, it's good news, but it's hard news, is that the great purgation has already begun. The same language is used in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit and wind and fire descend on Jesus' disciples. The purification has already begun. The Christian life here and now is being about being set fire with the Holy Spirit. 
yielding to God's judgment on our lives, seeing where we fall short, but surrendering to the grace and mercy of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, letting our old selves be burned away so that the image of God comes out with clarity until we look like Jesus. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day by day. I love what the preacher Fleming Rutledge says about this. What does it all mean, we ask? It means that you are being changed and I am being changed. It means that we Christians are going to be weaned away from our possessions and oriented towards being everlastingly possessed by the love of God. It means we will become less interested in receiving personal blessings for ourselves and more interested in making Christian hope known to those who sit in darkness. It means that we will become more and more thankful as we become less and less self-righteous, knowing that we are not the judge, but there is another who is greater than us. It means that we will gradually become less preoccupied with our own privileges and prerogatives and gradually see ourselves more and more in solidarity with other human beings who, like us, can receive mercy only from the hand of God. The good news, friends, is that the one born at the manger manger, is the one who comes at the end of time. There will be a judgment. Justice will be done and evil will be purged from creation and all will be set right. But that judgment is good news because the judge is Jesus. God's work in our world is not our destruction, but our salvation, and God will not be stopped. The fire of God's love will burn away everything in us and creation opposed to God's purposes. And it's kindling now in our hearts. Let us pray. God, Holy Spirit, come to us, come among us, come as the wind and cleanse, come as the fire and burn, come as the dew and refresh. Convict, convert, and consecrate many hearts and lives to our great good and your greater glory. In the name of the one who comes in the manger, in the name of the one who comes and is coming to make all things new. Amen.
for our hymn of the day, Oh Ancient Love.